So a few weeks ago, I uh, started working on kind of what we were going to do sermon-wise between now and after Labor Day. Uh, after Labor Day, we will pick back up with what we have been doing uh, for the past couple years with the narrative lectionary where we will go through the Old Testament in the fall. Then we will uh, hit the, the Gospel of Matthew, kind of mid-advent, mid first of the year, and go through that until Easter. So kind of have these, uh, had a few weeks, it was like, okay, what are we going to do in this little kind of window where I don't really know what, what I'm going to preach on? And so I had laid out a sermon series that I felt really good about. And then a couple weeks ago, after I preached on First uh, Peter chapter five, I sat down and I wrote down the things that I wrote up on the whiteboard and the things that I wrote down of what shepherds should be doing to be sober-minded and alert, to be humble, to cast your cares on him, to be examples to the flock and to resist the devil. And I started looking at those items and realized uh, that in those items, many of those things lined up with the sermon series I had already kind of laid out. And so I did a little bit of tweaking to, to, to make them work together. And so what I want to do is, is to really take these weeks between now and through Labor Day, to take these weeks to talk about what does it mean to be a shepherd? What does it mean for us to live out these things, to be sober-minded, to be humble, to cast our cares on him, to be examples and to resist the devil. So I wanna take these weeks to do this, and I thought a really good place to start is at the end. And so today I wanna to talk about what it means to resist the devil and how do we do that? And that's one of the, the big things I wanna talk about today. And so kind of in thinking about that, uh, it got me thinking about one of my, my favorite games uh, as when, when I would do youth ministry. And some of you, this, I think this mixer game has been, a long, been around for a really long time, so some of you might even remember it. But the mixer game uh, is called Two Truths and a Lie. Anybody ever play that? And so what you do is, is you say three things about yourself. Two of them are true. One of them is untrue. And then you, the group kind of votes on what they think is true and untrue. And so Scout has been, she said that this is one of those games that she feels like gets sprung on her. So she needs to like prepare her three things so that they'll be good. And so she thinks about, so, so I, I've been thinking about these things. And so I have, I have my, my two truths and a lie. Okay, so are y'all ready for this? So one of them is, is that during COVID, the, uh, my childhood treehouse that we had in the yard growing up became Instagram famous. Okay. That's one of them. Another one is that Heather and I met while we were students at Treveca. And the third one is, is that one time I fell through the bleachers at a basketball game. All right, so those are my three. So one of those is untrue. Anybody know what the untrue one is? Patricia? Meeting at Treveca, we met at Mount Vernon. All right, so very good. So that's the other, so the other ones, we, the people that bought our house, they, uh, she's a fashion designer, and so she did all these pictures on Instagram uh, in our treehouse, and people found out the address, and they come by to get pictures made in the treehouse, which is just one of those, we it's weird on Instagram to see, like, this is the treehouse I grew up in, and all these people are taking pictures of it. It's a weird thing. Uh, and then lastly, I won't go into the whole story because I'll lose all of you, but at the final game between Treveca and David Lipscomb University, which was our big rival, Lipscomb was in the process of moving to Division II uh, basketball, so it was the last game of both of us being in the NAIA. We beat Lipscomb at Lipscomb, and I, your pastor <laughs> was, got so excited, I jumped up and down and went straight through the bleachers. It's, there's a longer story there, but that's the gist of it. Heather was there, 
and Heather went to high five me and I had disappeared. <laughs> so that's all you need to know. I was no longer there, I was gone. Um, so yeah, true story, it, it happened. So, so, so those are my, 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 my two truths and a lie. Now, I, I say all that to say that, you know, there are, there are lies that we tell that are just kind of, they're just part of, they're, they're things that we just say. But the bigger issue isn't the little true truths and a lie type of lie. The bigger issue is, is that we, we have a truth problem. And it's not just that we in the church have a truth problem. Our world has a truth problem. If, if you watch the news, there is a, there's a term that you see every once in a while that is the craziest term I have ever heard. And they just, every once in a while, you'll see somebody use it and you're just like, oh, that's an interesting term. And you don't process what they're actually saying. But I, you hear on the news every once in a while, and the, this is the term, alternative facts. Okay, now I know I'm only 45, but back in my day, we called those lies. There's no such thing as an alternative fact. It's an untruth. And, and that's something that, that our culture deals with. And it's, I know some of you, even when I use that, you're like, well, that, this, this political party does it or this political party. Guys, both political parties do it. Everybody does it. We have a truth problem. We have a truth problem in our culture. We have a truth problem in our politics. We have a truth problem in our world. We have a truth problem. And so today, I want to talk about that problem. And, the, and part of the good news with us having a truth problem is this isn't something that is new. This isn't something that, that just kind of has happened in, in the modern or the postmodern era. It is something that has been around for a long time. And so let's look at a story. We're going to be in John chapter 8. Let's look at a story where we can be reminded that this is not a new problem. But John chapter 8, verse 30 Jesus is, is there talking to religious leaders and it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Verse 31, then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him. And we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will be free? Now, let's pause here. The Jewish people that are listening to Jesus are operating from an alternative set of facts. We have never been enslaved to anyone. Now, I don't know if they knew the Bible, but what is the most significant event in the Old Testament? Anybody know? The exodus. The exodus from what? Slavery. All right, good. So we go back to Exodus chapter one and Exodus chapter one. Now they just said, we're, Abraham's our father. So remember Abraham, he had a son. What was his son's name? Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob steals the father's birthright. He takes off. He wrestles with God. God renames him Israel. All right. Y'all remember this story? Then he has multiple sons, and one of those sons' name was Joseph. Joseph gets sold off by his brothers, ends up in Egypt. Y'all remember all this story? Ends up in Egypt, there's a drought, and all the people end up, he ends up inviting his brothers to Egypt, and they all end up in Egypt. 
That's how the story takes place. Then Exodus chapter one, we get down to verse 11, and this is what happens. Just 11 verses into the whole book, it says, so the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. Now, what do we call that? Slavery, yes. They enslave them. By the end of chapter two, chapter three, they they cry out to God and God then begins the Exodus. God calls out Moses and we go into that story. But the people say, the Jews say to Jesus, verse 33, we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. And you just want to say, you just, just one of those moments where you're just like, Jesus is just like, oh my goodness, this is what I'm dealing with. So verse 34, Jesus responded, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So Jesus takes the high road. You know, I could argue history with you, but let's not just talk about history. Let's talk about spiritual. Let's talk about the spiritual issues. A slave, verse 35, does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. That's another verse that needs to be highlighted in your Bible. So the son sets you free, you really will be free. This isn't a freedom from Egypt. This isn't a freedom from slavery. This is a freedom from sin that is enslaved over you. I know you are descendants of Abraham. (laughs) This is kind of a joke. Like I'm well aware of where you come from but you are trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the father. So then you do what you have heard from your father. Verse 39, our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, then you would do what Abraham did. But now, You are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth and that I heard from God, Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. Then, this is just, this is one of those verses that I I just, I don't understand. And I don't, what I don't understand about it is, is this, this shows an incredible amount of restraint on Jesus's part, because if I was Jesus, they'd all be dead. So they reply to him, we weren't born of sexual immorality. What are they saying? What they're saying is, I can look around this room and we all know who our fathers were. There's only one of us that was, born, that was conceived out of wedlock in this circle. You hear what they're saying? Now, if I was Jesus, they'd all be gone. I think most of us feel that way. You just, you just called my mother what? That's what they say. And then they say, we have one father, God. So Jesus says, it's getting good now. Jesus doesn't kill him. But Jesus says, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I came from God. This is where I came from. I wasn't born illegitimately. I came from the father. And I am here, for I didn't come on my own. He sent me. 
Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. So here we are. Here we are in this story, and there's a, there's a few things I, I want y'all to see about this story. The first thing is, is kind of a side point before we really get into what I want to talk about, but it's an important understanding kind of going into the story. And that is, is that the father, whatever your father is, but, but for the purpose of this point, we're going to use God the father. Your father should be the primary shaping or forming influence in our lives. Jesus tells them, I, I, I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm doing what my father wants me to do. My father is the one that sent me. He is what shapes and he forms my life, my life. And he says to them, you say Abraham was your father, but if Abraham was your father, then you would let him form and shape your life and you wouldn't be acting like this. But because of the way you are acting, there is only one person that I know that could possibly be your father and that's the devil. Now that's not a nice thing to say. But Jesus is speaking this truth into their lives. And so he says in verse 44, and this is a tough verse. I'll, I'll tell you, you're acting like your father. We are to be acting like our fathers. You're acting like your father. And the way you're acting, it's obvious that your father is the devil. And you're carrying out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, and this is an important point that we're gonna come back to. When God speaks the truth, God is speaking out of his own nature. When Jesus Christ speaks the truth, he is speaking out of his own nature. So when the devil speaks out of his own nature, what does he speak? Lies. Because he is the liar and the father of lies. So let's go through, I wanna go through some points, kind of, I wanna go through some points about the devil, all right? There's some things I want you to know that kind of, I think will help kind of form and shape this. Remember, our overall topic is what? Resisting the devil. So let's talk about the devil. So first off is, there is a real devil, okay? We see it in scripture, Jesus calls him the devil. Jesus isn't using these words to just talk about something that is ethereal or something that is made up. Jesus is talking about something real. We're gonna see some other places where Jesus calls him out. The word here in Greek though that he's using is the word diabolos, which means to slander or accuse. Here, here's another point that's kind of a side note to this. Nowhere in the four gospels does Jesus ever call the devil by name. He only calls him a title. Why is that significant? There's, there's arguments about it. There's people that say, 
you know, he just won't speak his name because of the power. I, I don't believe that at all. I think Jesus had way more power than the devil ever had. I don't think he's afraid of the devil. I don't believe that. I, I think what happened is, is something a little bit deeper and more theological than that. Yesterday I was, I was running and I was at Black Creek Park and I'm running back towards Shady Grove and I passed somebody who is in Jennifer and um, Adam's wedding. She went to high school with John. I hadn't seen her in a little while. And I ran past her. She's, I, I saw her because you can tell her far away because she's always got dogs with her. So she's got these three dogs that are walking her. And so she's being pulled behind these three dogs. And I went past her and I just said, hey, Trisha, hey, kept going. Didn't have time to talk to her. But I called her by name. Why? Because I want her to know that I care enough about her to acknowledge her and to know her name. I don't even know her. And we use names because names are power, because names show concern, because names show that we care enough about someone to know their name. And I think part of what Jesus is doing in his ministry is, is the one that he won't say his name isn't worthy of that respect, isn't worthy of that acknowledgement. And so through these passages, the, the terms that he uses are never a name, it's only a title. And so he uses this title, which means the accuser or the slanderer. So the first one is, there is a real devil. Secondly, the devil's intent intends to end life. That's his intent. Let's look over, if you've got your Bibles open to John, flip over to John 10.10. 10. Here's another place where Jesus speaks about the devil. He says, a thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. To steal, to kill, and destroy. I want to read a quote. Uh, I think I've got it up on the screen. Uh, this is from an author named John Mark Comer. He's a pastor in Portland. But I just thought he, he summed this up very, very well in just kind of one paragraph. He says, the devil's motto, tear it all down. Wherever he finds life, he tries to stamp it out. Beauty, deface it, love, corrupt it, unity, fragment it into a million pieces, human flourishing, push it to anarchy or tyranny, either will do. His anti-life, pro-death, pro-chaos agenda is an insatiable fire. powerful words. So the devil, the devil's intent is to end life. Next, the devil is the ruler of this world. We're going to stay in John's gospel. If you flip over to John chapter 14, there's a couple different places where Jesus uses this language, but this is the one that I chose uh, to reference for y'all. John 14 verse 30. I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of this world of the world is coming. He has no power over me. And there's other places uh, in John's gospel where Jesus refers to him as the ruler of the world. We're gonna look in just a little bit at the temptation of Christ. And part of what we'll see in that story is, is that the devil is able to offer Jesus all the kingdoms of this world. Why? Because he's the ruler of this world. So that's, that's another piece of that story. And then lastly, the devil is the father of lies. 
We've already seen this in John 8, 44. But in this passage, you are, your father, uh, you are of your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. So when God speaks, what comes out? The truth, because it's out of God's nature. When the devil speaks, what comes out? Lies, because it's out of his very nature. So let's, let's pull all this together. This wouldn't be a good place to end the sermon, would it? So let's, let's pull it together. What, what is the purpose of this sermon? First Peter chapter five. We looked at a passage two weeks ago that said this, be sober-minded and alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Peter uses the language of a lion, loses the language of prowling around like a lion, looking for someone to devour, to consume. And then Peter gives us these simple words, resist. Resist him. So I think the question is, what does it mean to resist him? How do I resist him? And and the beauty of this is, is that we were actually told pretty clearly how to do this. Jesus lays it out for us incredibly clearly. And so let's look. What I want to do is I want to to walk through this passage with you because I want you to see how clear this is and what he does. So Luke chapter 4, we're going to leave uh, John, we're going to go over to Luke. Luke chapter 4, this is a story that probably most of you know very well. Chapter 4, verse 3. What are we looking for? We're looking for how do we resist the devil? And I think the answer is in this story. So, verse 3, the devil said to him, said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, it is written, man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me. Remember, that's kind of the point we made earlier. He is the one that rules over this world. And I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And then the devil does what the devil does. He manipulates. I'm going to pull out the scripture now. So the devil says, He will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you and they will support with their hands so that you will not strike your your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him in verse 12, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. So how how do we resist the devil? 
I've got some of the teen boys that are going to come. They're going to pass out some cards. That y'all, Owen, Wyatt, Jake, Luke. I think Luke's got the balcony covered for me. Apparently, they're, they're shy boys. Hey, Luke Beal, he's done. I think Wyatt would just think the side. Richard Patricia get one? Who, who doesn't have one? All right, is that everybody? Y'all got everybody covered? All right, thanks, guys. So here's the question. How, how do you stand up to the lies of the devil? How do you stand up to the lies of the devil? One word. It's a one-word answer. Pray, yeah. There's another one. All right. There's, a, there's, there's the easy one. Truth. Yes, thank you. Truth. We stand up to the lies of the devil with truth. And what is the greatest weapon we have of truth? Scripture. The truth of Scripture is our greatest weapon against the lies that seek to destroy your life. Let me hear it again. The truth of Scripture is our greatest weapon against the lies that seek to destroy our lives. So what do we do? I think Jesus tells us pretty plainly, scripture, the way that I combat lies is with truth. And the best place for me to find truth is in the book of truth. And so scripture helps us do this. And so what I've done, this little card on the front, there's, here's what I want you to do. I put two verses just to remind us of this. 8.32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 14.6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So here's my question for you this morning. And before I ask this question, I want you to know I'm speaking to you, not your spouse, not your child, not your grandmother. I'm speaking to you. Because I think there is not a person in this room who is not susceptible to this question. Every single one of us, you're not alone. You're not by yourself. If you're human and you are alive, this is a question that needs to be answered. Are you currently believing any lies? Are these lies about your relationship with God? Are these lies about your past or are these lies about your future? And, and here's what I want you to do. I want this to start something for you. It started it for me. I've been doing it for about two weeks now. But to write, to answer the question, what lie is the devil telling you? Now, I have just two little lines on here. This is probably not the best place to do it. What I would recommend, pull up your notes app 
on your phone or I use my little journal or your calendar or whatever. Find a place to write these things down because I think if you are like me, hopefully I'm not alone in this and I don't think I am, there is more than one lie. Because what the devil does is he loves to tell you lies and he tells us lies all the time. And so the question is, is what is the lie the devil is telling you? And then the follow-up question that is so important. What scripture speaks the Father's truth into this lie? So on the back, for the past two weeks, I have been in my journal writing down lies. So I have a whole page in here of lies. Somewhere in here. I've been writing these down for this sermon. Not all of them apply to me, but they're all lies that people hear. And as I've been writing them down, I've been trying to work through and to answer the question is, what is the truth of scripture that speaks to this lie? And so on the back is some of those that I've written down. These are just ones that I know that people struggle with. These are ones that some of you struggle with, that you have shared with me. So some of these lies on the back, this wound or relationship can never be healed. Some of us feel that way. And Jeremiah 30, 17 says, I will give you back your health and heal your wounds. Another lie that we hear is you'll never be good enough. But Ephesians 2.10 reminds us, you are God's masterpiece. And we could stop right there. When the devil tells you, you will never be good enough to be reminded, God created you and our God doesn't make mistakes. You are God's masterpiece, not just God's creation. You are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do the good things that he has planned for us long ago. Another lie, you are too weak to whatever, fill in the blank. Isaiah 40 reminds us, he gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Another lie, I will never give, be able to give up this addiction. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the temptations in your life are no different from what others have experienced. God is faithful. He will not allow temptation to be more that you can stand. And I tell people every time I read this, because it comes up to the next one, the you there is plural. God does not give us a greater temptation than you can withstand. That it's about being together in the body. It's about being together in a fellowship. It's about sharing these things with one another because we walk together. He will not allow temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure Another lie is I don't need the church. And you could use 1 Corinthians 10, 13 to answer that one as well. But Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, so you are no longer strangers, but in aliens, you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what lie is the devil telling you? 
And part of what I want you to hear as well is when you write these things down, you might write them down and you might not have a scripture that goes with them. And you might be tempted to hear another lie in that process of the devil saying, this lie is just for you and there's nothing that God can do to fix it. That's another lie. Because you might write something down and there might not be a scripture that fits it, but I promise that there is. And one day that scripture might just show up in a sermon, in your reading, in a song. And I believe the Holy Spirit can say, listen to me, I'm speaking the truth into your life. You might think that there's no answer to this, but I promise that there is. We just have to listen. What is the lie that the devil is telling you or what are the lies that the devil is telling you And will we allow, will we create a practice that I believe can change our lives, a practice of scripture speaking that truth into our lives? And the last thing I put down there, or the last two things, pray that God helps you find a corresponding truth for each lie. It might take some time. And also don't be discouraged if you don't find a verse right away. It it will come. My hope and my prayer is, is that we know that we live in a world that has a truth problem. We we have a real truth problem. And the thing that scares me is, is that people of God, we are the people of truth. We are the people that are to be standing up for the truth. But we get caught up in the lies just like other people. And my hope is, is that using scripture time and time and time again to remind us of the truth, to remind us of what is right, to remind us that we are being shaped and we are being formed by God the Father. That the truth is what forms our lives, not these lies. Because our Father is not the devil, but our Father is God the Father. I'm going to ask John to come and close us in song. And as we close, my, my hope is, is that for some of you, you might have something on this line that just automatically, that automatically pops up. For some of you, it might take a few days. That's okay. For some of you, you might have to start listening and listening to God and to those lies but to start writing those things down to be reminded of the truth. Because I don't want lies shaping my life. Because my father's not the devil. I want the truth shaping my life. And for maybe some of you today, there is a lie that's big enough on here that you think, you know, the place that I want to fill out this line, the place where I need to write this down is is at an altar. to to be able to, to kneel and to pray and to say, this is the lie that the devil is telling me and I have bought into it too many times. It's time to hear God speak truth, truth into that lie. I told y'all two weeks ago that I really believe that part of what can change our church, part of what can can change what God is doing in the life of our church is the opportunity to just come and pray.
to be at an altar and to feel someone's hand on your back and to know that you aren't alone because one of the greatest lies the devil loves to tell you is you're alone. He loves that one. But I'm here to tell you, you aren't. It's a lie. And sometimes when we come to the altar, we think we come to the altar that we are all alone. You are not alone. Sometimes we're afraid to come because we're the only ones struggling. That's a lie. You're not the only one struggling. And as the people of God, what we are to do is to be beside one another, lifting one another up in prayer and hope. So today as we sing, I just want to invite you, if you wanna come and find a place to kneel, Pastor James will be down here at the far altar. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, if, if, if you've heard us talk about that, you don't know what that is, Pastor James would love to talk to you about that, would love to pray with you. I'll be down here at this altar on your left, that if you want to come to be anointed for healing, I would love to pray over you. I'd love to anoint you. But I just invite you as we sing this beautiful song, don't listen to the lies, but listen to the truth. Let us stand as we sing.